Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. My guest today is Craig Elbert. Craig is co-founder and CEO of nutrition and wellness company, Care Of. Craig's had a super diverse career. I'm very excited to have him in the studio today. He was once an investment banker and an analyst at Lehman Brothers. He has also had various roles in ad sales and biz dev at Universal Pictures, MTV Networks, Warner Music. And before he founded Care Of, and this is my favorite part, Craig was leading marketing and before that finance at Bonobos, which is another one of my favorite brands. And full disclosure, and Craig knows this, I'm not just a fan of Care Of, but I'm also a consumer of Care Of. And that's how I actually got to Craig today. And I'll get to that in just a second. So Craig launched Care Of only three years ago with a very distinct purpose in mind honesty and quality for the consumer personal health, and knowing that he would need a board of real healthcare professionals. At the very start, he teamed up with leading doctors, and hopefully I'll get his name right, his co-founder, Akash Shah, of a healthcare startup called Home Team, who helped Craig launch Care Of. The past three years have been incredibly exciting for Care Of. has gone through multiple rounds of fundraising, the most recent in 2018 with Goldman Sachs putting the value of the company at around $156 million, And the company has seen incredible growth. If you've been on Facebook or Instagram, or even been on the subway here in New York over the last couple of years, it's hard to miss this brand. And basically what Care-of does is they deliver customized vitamin packs right to your door. They combine technology, science, and human empathy to make the journey simpler. Did I get that right? That's exactly right. So Craig, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Forward to talking. I tried not to make it awkward by giving you a huge, warm embrace because of your past with Bonobos, as well as with Care of, of course. So the reason why we are meeting here today is because nobody can see this, of course, but I've got two packages of vitamins. One for my wife, Tessa, and it says, hi, Tessa, and there's an inspiring quote on her package. And mine, which just says, hi, Aaron, and there's also another inspiring quote on mine. My wife actually introduced me to this brand about a year ago. And I'll talk about that in a second because I think it's an interesting journey as well. But the reason why I reached out to you is because you guys recently launched compostable packaging. And I just, through my own personal experience with clients and a couple other startups, I nearly got involved with. I know how hard it is to put a compostable package together that can maintain the efficacy of whatever's in it. In this case, it's vitamins. It could still look good. And then, of course, it will compost over time. So I'm going to start off with that and just tell me a little bit about one, how hard that was to do, how long it took, because I think that as consumers, we take these things for granted and we're like, how come they can't make this compostable? They just think like, it's like magic and you can just make it happen. How did it happen? Yeah, you're right. It was quite a journey. We initially launched the brand around December, 2016. And when we built out the brand, it was about convenience and honesty and delivering this personalized pack for folks. And that core pack was everybody gets 30 packs that they take daily. But as we were building it out, we were looking at the options for film and it just felt so personally, I felt like, okay, we've got to be able to move to something that's either compostable or recyclable, something here. And the challenge was when we were building out initially, our vendors said that wasn't possible. They said, here's, if you want to be able to maintain the moisture seal, you want to be able to maintain stability of the product. It's just not 
physically possible. And I think like a lot of things, when you're building a business, you're told no a lot. You're told, no, your idea won't work. No, you can't get funding. And this was just, no, you can't build a compostable pack. And for us, we didn't take that as the final answer. We did do what you do in a startup a lot, which is iterate. So we launched with the initial packaging, which was more plastic and was not compostable. But in the meantime, we had an initiative in the background where we started looking for different suppliers. And really we had somebody... I hope you told your supplier that. (laughs) We're going to use you (laughs) now, but unless you can evolve with the century we're living in. I think, yeah, there was a message of that. And I think there was a little bit dismissiveness on their side because they saw us as a small company and hadn't seen our growth. And B, they just didn't think anybody could do this. So we had a director of strategy who one of her main goals was just trying to uncover different suppliers here. And so that involved... A lot of just cold calling packaging companies that involved looking at other competitors that involved looking at who weren't competitors and had interesting packaging. And she ultimately got, after a number of kind of dead ends, frankly, we eventually got a lead on this company that's also a startup themselves, but are really focused on eco-friendly packaging. And they told us they had developed something that would be compostable coming from corn husks and forgetting the second ingredient, but it's it's, not mushrooms, is it? I've been reading a lot about mushrooms is something that we're working on for the cardboard. So there are a number of mushroom packaging and sugarcane packaging for the cardboard side of things, but that was not an ingredient or the packs themselves. But ultimately it just was a lot of legwork, a lot of dead ends and finally finding this needle in a haystack vendor and just working closely with them over the course of six months to develop it. And then we had to do our stability testing to make sure that the product was good. And that took another three months. And then ultimately we had to trial it out and that took another month to make sure that our machines worked with it. And overall the journey was, like I said, probably one to two years, but it was just something that mattered so much to us within the company because we were putting out this product. It mattered to our customers. You know, it was one of the biggest complaints, probably the biggest complaint of our customers. And you would see it on Instagram was, Hey, I love the brand, but I feel bad taking this piece of plastic, single use plastic every day. And so finally got there and it meant a lot to me personally and a lot to our employees. And you know, it was a fun one where I sent an email to the customers and just the notes that you got back, you know, that I got back that were really personal. That's how we met today. Yeah. And, and you realize how much people care so much of when you're building a brand is how do you build something that people really care about, that people connect on. And launching with the compostable packs was one of those feelings of like, hey, we've really connected with our customers. The feedback, just getting that positive feedback. Obviously, there was a personal reason to do it, but also just hearing from the customers, you knew that it mattered and you knew that the work was really worth it. Was the gating factor to having, I mean, I know that there are a few suppliers who could do this, but is it because of a material science issue or was it a cost issue or both? Primarily material science is my understanding because the cost is a little bit more, but it's not insanely. It was the material science and particularly being able to hold the moisture barrier and being able to allow for product stability. So stability, we have to do stability testing where we let the product sit for months and they also accelerate that in a number of ways. And then you have to remove the product and see, okay, is what's in here the same thing that we said it was when we launched it? Bioequivalent or whatever it is after you've had like the sun beating on it or put it in a freezer or all these different. Exactly. And do you use a third party to do that? Or there's consultants, I'm sure that 
There's a whole industry of people who do these things, right? Yeah, there's a whole industry that does the stability testing. And that stability testing itself is very common and it's been used for years. But anytime you have new packaging, you have to do stability testing in our world. And in this case, we hadn't found anything that passed that stability testing and was also compostable. So you are in a super competitive business, an industry where I'm just wondering what was the light bulb that went off one morning? I know ideas aren't created right away. These things, they simmer. You also happen to work for Bonobos, one of my favorite brands. I might've mentioned that earlier. And interestingly, your journey was you were a finance guy in Bonobos and then you became a marketing guy, which actually I'm not sure in the 30 years I've been doing this has ever happened. I don't know. I don't recall anybody has ever been able to do both. It's like cats and dogs. Why vitamins? Why personal care and healthcare and wellness? Is there a personal story behind it? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we talked about so much at Bonobos was this idea of how do you make something delightful that's previously boring or stagnant and how do you connect with consumers and really create a product that people are passionate about. In that case, it was men's khaki pants. And you can think of like, there's not much more boring than men's khaki pants other than potentially vitamins. And and I'll just add meeting unmet needs. So the thing as a Bonobos customer now, even still I'm like, don't be envious, 29 inch waist, maybe 28 even right now with like a 30 inch inseam, right? It's hard to find that. And I want fitted pants. I don't want to look like an old man, even though I am an old man, right? Yes, exactly. And a lot of it comes down to listening to the customer and understanding customer problems and being empathetic to that. And I think Andy Dunn at Bonobos was great at this and I learned a lot. And ultimately kind of with those voice in my head, I had the experience of shopping for vitamins and supplements. My wife was pregnant And so she was taking prenatal vitamins and I'd see her with a little baggie sometimes when we'd go on trips where it's like the prenatals and the fish oil and the calcium. I'd been told I was vitamin D deficient. And so then going to the store and trying to purchase, like you mentioned, it's a very crowded category. It's a highly fragmented industry. And the retail experience was just a miserable one. You have teenaged commissioned store clerks who are trying to sell you something. and And they know nothing, to be honest. Exactly. They don't know anything other than what product is sponsoring a deal that day so that they can get that incentive. And I think from a consumer standpoint, I just felt like this is a miserable experience. And I think there was part of it too, where I was trying to do something for my health. I kind of had wondered if the whole category was all BS, but here I was with a couple of doctor recommendations around prenatals and around vitamin D. And so clearly there must be some science and research here, but it's masked in that shopping experience where They kind of treat everything the same from kind of some herbs that you've never heard of to these core vitamins and minerals and felt like there's an ability to really dig in here and try to create something from a customer standpoint. And so I think that was kind of the moment of standing in that aisle and just feeling like this is a miserable customer experience. And then my co-founder Akash and I, I'd been connected with him from a friend from business school and He built healthcare startups that were about impacting people's lives. I was focused on consumer experiences, and we just saw this as a a pretty interesting and ripe category. And when we dug in, we saw, we looked at a metric that's called net promoter score, which is just generally how likely someone's to recommend a brand or retailer. And we saw that for vitamins and supplements, the experience was worse than getting cable installed. It was worse than getting health insurance. It was literally a negative net promoter score, meaning there were more people that were detractors of their brands and retailers. And again, coming with that- And you're like, that's the business I'm going to go into. Exactly. (laughs) Coming from the Bonobos mindset of like, hey, we can build something delightful. And so what were the customer problems? It's confusing. People don't know what to take and why. 
there's broken trust because there's bad actors and there's just, it's hard to know what actually has science. The most challenging part, which we're working on long-term is there's a lack of a feedback loop. How do you have confidence that what you're doing is having an impact? And those are three problems that we really wanted to tackle in a meaningful way with a direct consumer business. So you did it. And I think that one of the most interesting parts of Care Of is like when you sign on, you basically, how many questions is it you answer? It's about five minutes. And so it depends on the number. It, it depends seems on quick. Answers. Yeah. But they're smart questions. And then you have some sort of algorithm or something that helps provide some level of advice, which I imagine is based on your co-founder's background as well, because there's real legitimate credentialed physicians and nutritionists that help to feed back into that loop based on the answers that I give. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was important for us at the beginning, which was how do we bring credible people to help give the guidance? And how do we actually bring people who would maybe be more skeptical of the vitamin industry? And so we saw out there, there are plenty of people who we could pay to do this, who had been in vitamin industry for decades. Instead, we said, let's find some skeptics, let's get some academics And let's find some people who are practicing physicians, integrative in medicine and naturopaths, and let's work with them on what that recommendation engine is. And ultimately, again, it's the goal for us was how do we build something that you feel confident actually delivers value to the user and let's get a variety of opinions. And so that was an exercise where before we built the company, it was a courting process to get some of these academics and doctors to really understand that we wanted to approach this in the right way, that we weren't just out to make a quick dollar, that we were really building something with purpose, I think was was important to actually get some of those advisors on board early. I feel like too, my own experience has been there's kind of like two main camps, right? You've got healthcare professionals who are like, hey, you know, if you eat a balanced diet and you lead a pretty healthy lifestyle, you're fine. Maybe take a one a day, right? And then you've got others who, and I think this is where the industry is going. And I think where most healthcare professionals are going a little bit more holistic approach. We're all deficient somewhere. And sometimes it's not based on science or a blood test. And that's just how you feel. And even if it is placebo, if it's working, is it really placebo? And for me, besides the fact that my wife said, you have to try this, it's really cool. I took this blood test. I think the company's called Inside Tracker. You're probably familiar oh, with yeah, them. Oh yeah, I know them. Yeah. yeah, so I was in peak Ironman training, which probably when I shouldn't have taken the blood test, but I found I was deficient in a lot of different areas. And then that actually, that instead of going to CVS, no offense to CVS, and at the same time, my wife's like, you should try this company. It felt a little bit more bespoke and a little bit more education-based and logical and a sensible approach to use care of. Talk a little bit about the dichotomy between those two universes, though. And also, at some point, how many people are actually coming to you because the catalyst was there's a blood test where they're looking for different kind of markers versus people who already take vitamins? Like, how do you kind of look at your demographic? I know I threw a lot of questions at you, Sue. I think the interesting thing is that dichotomy of people reading in the news, hey, vitamins don't work, or you have a naturopath or someone who's very pro-supplementation And I think the consumer sometimes gets confused by kind of like the strength of the opinions and the reality is it's a spectrum, which is like, if I have a doctor who says, oh, you don't need to take vitamins, they're not necessary, then I would sort of ask that doctor, okay, well, if someone's pregnant, what about the importance of folic acid? And it's like, okay, yes, that's true. And then it's like, okay, if someone is lives in the Northeast coast and doesn't get a vitamin D, should they be supplementing? It's like, okay, that's true. And okay, if someone's a vegan or vegetarian, should they maybe be taking B12 because it's only found in animal products? And 
And so what or you, if they're anemic, they exactly. should be taking iron. Or they're, right. And so there's certain use cases. And I think what we realized is, is ultimately you wind up with a spectrum of what we call internally belief systems, which is how much does somebody want to ensure that everything has, on the one end, you might have, hey, I only want to see consensus science and just show me anything that has massive peer-reviewed studies with large sample sizes. Okay, we'll limit the results to that. That will limit the number of vitamins and supplement options, but that's a route that we can go. And then on the other side, you have folks who maybe want to try some stuff that has emerging research or maybe some stuff that's been used in Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. And ultimately, we realize that there's a spectrum of belief systems that go into our category and we want to help the customer. We want to give them guidance that's in line with what their belief system is and help them navigate that. And I think interesting thing that you mentioned is that there is increasingly folks thinking about preventative medicine. There's a movement towards more preventative medicine. It's not just about treating disease states, but it's about how do we actually get ahead of ourselves by preventing long-term. I feel like preventative medicine is the new interventional medicine. Yeah. Because if it's interventional, you're already kind of too late. Not too, exactly. You're already down the path. Yes, exactly. And it usually, preventative medicine, the more we can eat smart, the more we can exercise. And from my perspective, the right supplementation, all of that then ultimately sets you up so that you have less side effects and you need less interventions down the road. One of the things, and it's sort of a rabbit hole to go down, but one of the things that I realized in approaching this category, and I had not been in it before, was just how much our health, the systems of our healthcare shape the way that we treat ourselves, the way that our hospitals work, all of that, and that ultimately filters down to people's belief systems on things like preventative medicine and supplementation. So it's, it's an interesting and sometimes sort of tragic how some things are broken, but ultimately our goal is trying to do our best to make it simple for the user, trying to do our best to help understand their belief system and how they're approaching us and meet them there. So speaking of belief systems, and I always like that phrase, one of the belief systems currently being challenged right now is the efficacy of cannabis, whether it's CBD or THC or a combination of the two. And you're seeing this not just play out in the U.S., but Canada is the first country, the whole country, to have it legalized, both recreationally and medicinally. How do you feel about at least the medicinal impact and what could that do to your business if and when that happens either federally or increasingly more so state by state. Currently, you don't offer any cannabis products, right? Yeah, we currently have no cannabis products, no CBD, no hemp oil. And it's clearly a huge rising trend. And I think there is, it's an interesting one where over time figuring out the research and kind of there's some areas that have very clear research for sleep, for anxiety. Inflammation, pain. Exactly. The list goes on. There's a uh, New York Times cover story in their magazine. I think it's CBD cures like everything. Exactly. Like that, right? it's, and, and it's trying to understand what's true. And also there is, I think from a consumer standpoint, sometimes a lack of a knowledge on the different types of products, CBD versus hemp oil. Does something have the full spectrum? Or is it an isolate? I think there's a lot of education that's going to happen. There's also simultaneously a lot of marketing that's happening out there. So it's going to be a little bit, I think, noisy, but over time actually beneficial. My sense is that there's going to be an initial kind of lots of pops as in terms of like from a trend perspective as regulation kind of breaks down and then ultimately it will settle for clear use cases and become kind of less of a, just a pure trend product and, and something more than that. It's definitely something that we're looking at and have are figuring out the roadmap. I think there are challenges. It's interesting, again, talking about kind of 
systemic challenges. It's interesting because there's definitely regulatory challenges state by state, but there's things like our payment processor will not allow us to sell CBD products. Our bank will not write inventory loans against CBD products. And so you, there's different challenges that I think uh, folks are facing and that I think all of that changes pretty quickly over the next couple of years and you see it changing already. It's definitely a super interesting and high potential space with a lot of benefits for folks. I think the key will be getting the right amount of education for users and setting expectations and ultimately kind of understanding where the benefits are and kind of once it moves outside of just the pure kind of like interesting trend thing to something that's actually having an impact for people consistently is where I think it gets really exciting. I feel like you guys are on the cutting edge of discovering new products, new supplements, new ingredients. One, because I get your emails. But so for example, the sleep crystals you had introduced recently. We have quick sticks. Which my wife loves, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Um, can you also add something to stop her from snoring? <laughs> Working on that. We don't have yeah, that right yeah. now. That could be the most expensive, most costly comment I ever make on a podcast, by the way. How do you go about that internally without obviously revealing any sort of trade seekers? But it's, that's where the innovation is, right? I'm sure you have teams of people or some people who go about and they're like, what's the next thing? And I feel like you're a very responsible, very transparent company. So you're not going to bring it to market unless you feel very good about it. Yeah. I think this is just an interesting thing in terms of as we built the business, the balance of what I'd call kind of outsiders in building a business versus insiders. And what I mean there is when we started building products, I had some ideas of what we wanted to build. But when we wanted to actually make, for instance, what's the sourcing of our magnesium, I did not have experience there. And I could have just sort of tried to trust some consultants, but I think I would have been tricked and ultimately taken advantage of. And I think ultimately it's one where I felt having insiders, people who have actually lived and breathed product innovation in this category for decades. And understand the supply chain. Exactly. I think you have to understand all of that, especially given kind of some of the bad actors out there. And so I spent time thinking about who do I really respect in terms of product development there is a brand out of Vermont called New Chapter, which has been making botanicals and supplements for a number of years and has a rich tradition on being very smart on the supply chain. And so I spent a lot of time courting their supply chain team and their head of product innovation and got them aboard. You know, one of them, Graham Rigby, is just an amazing product innovator who just incredibly bright and has his pulse on what's new, what's coming around the corner, what's the science behind things. So they're a partner of yours? Yeah, they joined us. So they left New Chapter. I happened to benefit from the fact that P&G had acquired New Chapter and that was culturally not going well, uh, which the kind of the point of your podcast is that there wasn't an alignment on values. There wasn't an alignment on on purpose. And that ultimately led to folks looking outside. And I was able to benefit from that by bringing aboard three or four folks from New Chapter, including our head of product innovation. And so we were aligned on vision and purpose, and they have just uh, tremendous decades of experience. And you trust them. Yes. The other part of it, right? Exactly. That's right. Having the trust and being aligned on kind of what we're building and why. Do you think there'll ever be a world in which instead of me getting six or seven different vitamins, and maybe this is from a chemistry standpoint impossible, is it possible to just check boxes and have one like massive super vitamin where I get I had the list actually here. You noted that. What's your favorite one? My favorite is uh, Rhodiola rosea, which is an herb from the Altai Mountains. Helps with uh, 
Fatigue from stress, which when you're building a business and have two kids, uh, there you go. Mine, yes, or exactly. If you're in a business, starting a podcast and have two teenagers, there you go. It works Road for me too. So is it possible or is it just not possible from a chemistry standpoint or efficacy standpoint to put it all together into one pill? We're looking at a number of things. I think from a pill standpoint, realistically, it can be challenging. There are certain nutrients, calcium and magnesium are... Like they might not be stable if they're put together in a pill, right? Yeah, it's less stability, but more actual size. So like to get enough calcium, you actually have to, it's a larger nutrient. And so you have some nutrients like vitamin D or in vitamin C, which can be super small. And so you could get them together. But when you start adding things like fish oil, calcium, magnesium, you'll notice if you look at kind of the, the multivitamin labels, you'll notice that they have less in some of those ingredients because they want you to look and see that, hey, it's in there, but it's probably actually not as much as if you bought it standalone. And Interesting. So, and no one wants to swallow a golf ball full of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, like, you know, I do think there's a lot we can do along with others in, in kind of delivery innovation of the product in terms of form factor. Could it be a powder? Could it be something you mix to a drink? Like, I think there's interesting things there. When we built the business, we thought about that a lot and kind of talked with consumers and found that in terms of out the gates, which axis we wanted to innovate on, that felt like one where we didn't get as much draw from the consumers because they were used to taking vitamins and supplements and totally changing the form factor out the gate was actually a lower priority than helping them understand which ones they should be taking. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just had to ask because I was just kind of curious and I have no problem after I take my uh, fire cider in the morning. <laughs> what do you think of that? What do you think about the whole apple cider vinegar? I feel like I'm not as well informed as I should be. And I think that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> not I will say this, it, it clears it. my sinuses. It does that for sure. <laughs> Cause it's kind of awful to take, but, uh, we have a couple of people in the office that swear by it. I have not actually looked up the research myself, hence I don't want to comment, but I anecdotally know that some people who are, who swear by it. Yeah. How did you get, so, I mean, you obviously had to educate yourself in this and you are kind of like a, renaissance man at a young age you've been in lots of different industries but it sounds like you had to take a pretty serious crash course and not just in manufacturing and supply chain but also just vitamins in general and nutrition and it's like a never-ending thing right i mean that's one of the most fun things of building a business or building a brand is you learn so much and i think that first year i quit my job at bonobos at the end of 2015 this is pre-walmart it was yeah about seven months before we sold to walmart and so i didn't know that that was coming I like when people are like, I really like that shirt. Where's it from? Like Walmart. Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I worked with Akash. It was basically Akash myself for probably six months. And then we started bringing on some supply chain members. But so much of that first year before we launched was education. We buying textbooks on vitamins, going up to Boston to meet with folks at Tufts and Harvard to understand their perspective. So much of it was just reading and learning so that we had a perspective And frankly, that that perspective was shaped not just by industry, but by, again, sort of outside industry forces. And it was a lot of fun. It was fun to understand how complex human nutrition was. Very exciting to see the impact that small changes can have on people's lives. And it's always just interesting to really dig deep into something. I mean, if you'd ask me, would I be in vitamins and supplements 10 years ago, I would have laughed. And when I told my parents this is what we were going to launch a business around, my mom said, well, what are we going to tell people you do? You sell vitamins now? Uh, 
It was yeah, like khakis to yeah, vitamins. Exactly. And I think there's just so much to learn, which is just a lot of the fun in building a business is you learn from folks, you bring on people who are experts, you absorb it all, you eventually shape your own point of view and that continues to evolve over time. So that year was just so much learning. And I feel like there's a little bit of whimsy. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's how I feel to your communication with your customers. And did you learn that? I guess from your experience at Bonobos as well. I feel like that's, you're not ripping it off. You're just using, I think you're speaking to your, the consumer, the customer in kind of a fun, natural way that actually fits into my life flow. Yeah. I think in developing the tone, it was so important to have it feel conversational, to have it feel That's the right word. You never know as in communication. It's conversational. (laughs) Yeah. Because it creates that connection and it's also just different from what's out there. And myself as, despite being someone who started in finance, my background before was in English literature in college and love reading and sort of wrote a lot of the copy myself for our site, for our quiz initially. And just the language is so important in terms of creating a connection and having a brand that feels more than just something that was manufactured in a studio or something like that. And, and so I think that was always really important to me and still is to this day are the folks that are, I'm not writing all the copy anymore, but they right. do hear my comments. Oh, sure they do. You got to stay involved. They do an amazing yeah. job of kind of translating it and then continuing to evolve it. But that's definitely intentional because I think the brand character really comes through. What's the thing you like to do most and what's the thing you like to do least as the co-founder, as an entrepreneur? I mean, the company's not even three years old until December, right? Three years old in December. I generally love the act of creation. And so I think anything about creating, be it a pining on a new box design or thinking through copy, like some of that stuff is fun or up to like thinking through the next product line and just the act of kind of creating what it could be. What's the consumer problem? What's the story we're trying to tell? How do we make things better for the user? And, and coming up with solutions there is always really fun for me. The biggest challenge has definitely been operations. Making the daily packs it was way more operationally intense than I ever expected. I have no background in operations and supply chain management in Six Sigma, like black belts, like how do we refine this process and do time trials and, and that stuff. We have a warehouse in Brooklyn where we have three shifts of about 50 people or so on each shift. Do they all have like tat sleeves and man buns and like big bushy beards? <laughs> they, and, they do not. We actually sorry, Brooklyn. set it. Yeah. No, we set it up in the Brooklyn Navy Yard because I lived in Fort Greene and the Brooklyn Navy Yard has an amazing initiative about bringing manufacturing jobs back to Brooklyn. And so probably the most rewarding thing in what we do for me is actually you think about startups and, okay, we're giving, it's cool to work at a startup, but the reality is that most people at our office, probably everybody at our office, if Kerov didn't exist, they they wouldn't have a form of employment. They, they would have a form of employment. Whereas I, I can't say the same necessarily, like we're creating jobs in a neighborhood that I live in and creating jobs for people who've been in that area for a long time. One of my favorite employees, he Guy William is from the Brownsville housing projects and sort of like really values the job and and loves the brand. One of our first hires out there was a mother from who just moved here from Guyana three months ago or three weeks ago. And it's really just a really fulfilling feeling to have these people also caring about the brand and out there. But anyway, point being operations is a pain in the ass and what they do is really hard and it's something that now we've got a head of operations who's fantastic. Nacho is 
done a great job, but that's a part that I can't stand doing myself. Yeah. What about raising money? I mean, you had a round with Goldman last year, which is amazing. Yeah. Raising money is never fun. The part that I do like about it is it gives you the opportunity to step back. And like I say, I like creation and storytelling. And And people are purposely, for good reason, really testing your model, right? Exactly. Which is great. So you're learning every time you walk out of a meeting, you learn something new for the next meeting or for your business. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the part that's fun is you think through your story, you think through what's your different, you know, what's your strategy. It is a forcing function on you know, really pressure testing your business. The hard part sometimes is the emotional roller coaster. You'll leave a meeting and be like, oh, that person loves this. They're definitely going to invest. Right. And then you never hear from you them. Never again. Hear from them. <laughs> and then you'll leave another meeting and be like, ah, that fit doesn't seem right. And then they'll give you a term sheet. It's, it's confusing when you're building a business and you're watching the bank account and you're thinking about your team, you, you can feel pressure. But obviously when it's successful, it just feels, feels great. And so it's, it's not, not the most fun to do, but there are, are benefits from it for sure. So you've got two little kids at home. There are a lot of people who either are starting businesses or thinking about starting businesses and you're a very mission-driven company and obviously chatting with you, you're a very deliberate, very disciplined person. How do you keep it all together? So you've got two little kids at home, start a company actually when you're probably, if you started it three years ago and your oldest was one, right? So I quit Bonobos when my wife was pregnant which was an interesting, great, great idea. Yeah, which at the time I thought that she was all aboard on this. And later I said something like, oh, but she was, she was really excited and supportive. She's like, I didn't think this was a good idea. Why did she think that? Right. Like, what are you going to leave uh, me? <laughs> and uh, she stayed. She's, yeah, she stayed. She's been wonderful through all of this. It was fun having the kid and the company come at the same time because you watch both of them grow, both get names, both yeah. go through different time periods. So it's not care and of. Exactly. That's yeah. the, you nailed it. That's what it is. So. All right, good. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you're taking your vitamins, but like, how do you keep balance? How do you keep sane? What is it that you're doing to just maintain it all. Yeah. I don't know. That assumes that I am staying sane. A lot of it has to do with one, my co-founder, we keep ourselves, each other sane uh, and perspective. Akash just had his first kid a couple months ago at this point. And I think it's having an emotional foundation in the business for me. He's been great at that. It's, it's having a wife who's been incredibly supportive and, and then it's just carving out the mental time of like not forcing yourself to shut off and spend time with the kids, which is fun and and making sure that you're not working all the weekends. It's conscious decisions. It's hiring a fantastic team that you can rely on because the reality is you need that regardless to succeed. And the, the better you are at hiring, the more likely you are to be successful and the more likely you are not going to be doing everything, which is actually better for the business. So I'd say generally being conscious about it, ensuring that you've got the right emotional support, and then building a team that ultimately your job as CEO, or at least as a co-founder, is to hire yourself out of a job. Is Can I get enough people who are better at doing the job than I am that they can take it on? And I want to be at a point where I look up and wonder, what am I doing? Does this company actually need me? Would be a great place to be. But in the meantime, kind of continuing to build that, which then frees up some time for the family too. And what's the best way to find you guys, either you personally, socially, and if that's not good, how about care of? I'm not necessarily the most, probably because of the kid and my own time thing, I'm not the most out there founder in terms of Twitter and social. Except for being on this podcast. Except for this podcast. Super famous now. This is the place where you'll find me as this podcast. Exactly. Brand on purpose. (laughs) Download it multiple times. Yeah, but care of, we're at 
www.takecareof.com. I don't know why I listed the three W's there as if do that. You're not old enough to do yeah. that. Uh, and the, then the interwebs. Instagram is a big one for us. So you can check us out at care of on Instagram. Those are kind of our biggest channels, but yeah, would appreciate folks giving us a look. Well, on behalf of myself, my wife, many people in my office who use care of will continue to use care of. Thank you for taking care of us and for making us happier and healthier people. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much, Aaron. Really appreciate the chat today. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quicken, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the smooth voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Andrew Kamika, the always on point associate producer Lindsay Han, who touches every aspect of this podcast, and Magic Matt Zikowski, a literal magician who works wonders behind the scenes. Learn more about our show at brandonpurposepod.com and follow our Instagram at the BOP Podcast. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com. Yeah.